0: We welcome you to this online worship service. You have a few moments if you want to be able to invite others to join you. Uh, maybe create a watch party, ask people to come in and join us uh, for this very important message today. And I invite you to find in your Bible First Corinthians chapter 1. Find your place in your Bible at First Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible there in front of you, the words of the verses will be on the screen and you can follow along with me there. But I want to begin reading in verse 18 of First Corinthians chapter 1. For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The title of my message today is The Wisdom of the Cross. And I want to share with you this message. This is something that in our church, every two or three years is a message that I bring to our congregation and to people who join us to hear this particular message. I went back through my notes on yesterday, just looking back for how long I have been preaching this message, and if my notes are correct, about 20 years I've been preaching this same message every two or three years. That means over the course of those 20 years, some six or seven or maybe eight times, I've delivered this message. Now I know that some of you might be wondering why in the world would you do that? Isn't there enough material in the Bible that's new, that's interesting to be able to come to and say it it in a different way? And the answer is absolutely. The Bible is inexhaustible. The reason why I share this message on a repeated uh, fashion, in a repeated fashion is because it is a message that reasons with people. Actually this message... The content of this message is the core of what it means to be a gospel preacher. If this isn't at the center of what you're preaching on a consistent basis, then you just simply aren't a gospel preacher. No matter what you say about yourself, you're not a gospel preacher. This is at the core of what it means to be a gospel preacher. But this particular message I enjoy delivering because it reasons with people. And so what I'm going to ask you to do with me for the next few minutes is just to reason along with me. The fact of the matter is, you can come to the end of this message and you can totally reject what I'm saying to you. You can totally discredit anything I'm saying. Say, I'm not going to believe any of that. I'm going to walk away from all of that. But at least for the next few minutes, I'd love to engage you in a reasoning exercise where we think through some things that are revealed to us in these verses of Scripture that we've read today. And at the end, if you wish to discount it, that's your business. But at least go with me as we reason together for a few minutes today. In these verses, there was a contrast that was being given to us. A contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. Another way to talk about these two things is to refer to them as worldviews. Everybody lives their life according to a worldview. And God places here the worldviews in two categories, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. Now, a ver- world view is the way you see the world. These are my sunglasses that I wear when I go to the beach. Is it any wonder why I get so much attention? But it is the way that you see the world. It's the way that you interpret the world. You look through your world view. It affects every aspect of your life. It affects your ambitions. It affects your morals. It affects your responses. It affects your character and your commitments. And every other aspect of your life is affected by your worldview. If your worldview is the wisdom of the world, then you're looking at life and interpreting life through that worldview. If your worldview is the wisdom of God, then you are looking through that worldview and you are seeing life from a completely different perspective. And the reality is that these two worldviews are really in conflict with one another in a lot of ways. There are people who try to bring these two worldviews together and to combine them into one overall worldview. But what they discover quickly, if they're honest about it, is that these two worldviews have significant differences and conflicts amongst themselves. And the result is you either have to abandon one or the other, or you have to live with this constant internal conflict that is going on between these worldviews. Christians seek to have the worldview of God, the wisdom of God, increasingly so over the course of their journey in the Christian life. And people in the world increasingly become more convinced by the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the world. Now, let's think about those two worldviews for a moment, and let's contrast them, if I can, specifically in one particular area that deals with your eternal soul. There's a lot of other areas where they contrast with each other, but let's contrast it in these two worldviews in the area of your own individual soul. soul. You know, a lot of people believe that there's something beyond this life. And each of these worldviews answers what is after this life. Think with me for a moment about this worldview called the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world says, in essence, that you're going to look at life from man's point of view. It is humanistic. It is the wisdom of mankind. It is seeing life purely from the perspective of mankind itself. And it says that there are things that you have to do. These are things that you have to do that have to be done by you. You have to earn these things. If there is a life beyond this life, and if there is a God beyond this world, then if you're going to be able to go into that life, then you've got to be good enough, and you've got to do enough, and you've got to earn it for yourself. And let's be honest, from the very early days of our lives, that's basically the view that we're taught in every other area of our lives. We're we're told that there is nothing free in this world. You have to earn it. You go to school, and you earn those grades. You earn that diploma, you earn that certificate, you earn that degree, and then you get a job and you go to work. You realize that paycheck that you get at the end of the week or every two weeks or however it is you're paid, that's something that you have earned. It's not a gift. That's something that you have worked for, and that's something that you have earned. It's a significant thing. This Wisdom of the world, this worldview of man, this humanistic centered worldview says these are the things you have to do, you have to earn it. In this worldview, this wisdom of the world, there's different kinds of people. There are atheists, atheists, meaning no God. To be honest with you, there are very few of them they make a lot of noise but they're not nearly as many of them as you would think there are percentage wise there's not nearly as many as you would think there are but they have this view that there is no God and for them basically in this wisdom of the world you end up being just dust in a box at the end of your life when the people that knew you are gone when those who had some dealings with you are gone you're just irrelevant there's no need for you anymore there's no need for your memory anymore and you're forgotten forever that's the wisdom of the world. Some people in that wisdom are atheists, ah-theists. More of them are agnostic, ah-no-knowledge. They, they will say to you, well, I really don't know what comes next. I really don't know if there's a God. I can't say that there isn't something next, and I can't say that there isn't a God, but I just don't know it for certain. I just don't have that, that sense of, of positive feeling that there is, in fact, a God. And there's a significant number of people that are agnostic. But most of the people, at least from my Dealings with people. Most of the people that I deal with will tell you when you ask them and they're looking at life from this worldview, the wisdom of the world, they'll say, Yeah, you know, I believe there's got to be something after this life. I believe there's got to be something more than this life. And I believe it's very likely that there may be a God. I don't know who He is. I don't know how you get to Him. I don't know how you get into this better place after life. But what I do know is that I think there is something beyond this life. That's the wisdom of the world. That's the world. Worldview that is humanistic, that is man-centered, that's based on what you do. You've got to earn these things. If you're going to get into a better life, if you're going to be received by God, then it's going to be on the basis of what you have earned. And so you work hard and you work diligently in order to make sure that you at least give yourself the opportunity to be able to get into God's presence. Now, the wisdom of the Of God, the wisdom of God, that is the worldview, that is theistic, might even say it's Christocentric, it is God centered, it is about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about what you do, it's about what is already done. It's about the one who was born in Bethlehem, the sinless Son of God who came into this world through the womb of Mary. It was a miracle. It's about the one who lived his entire life named Jesus and obeyed the law of God and crossed every T and dotted every I. He was the sinless one. It's about the one who was taken unjustly outside of Jerusalem to a hillside called Golgotha, or as we often refer to it, Calvary. And he was nailed to a tree there, and he bled and he died there, taking the penalty of our sins on himself who was buried and who rose again. And now the one who purchased on that cross the forgiveness of our sins comes and offers to us a gift. And that gift is eternal life. And it is received, not on the basis of what you do, but on the basis of what he has done for you. You're beginning to see the contrast, aren't you, between these two kinds of wisdom, the wisdom of the world that is humanistic. It is man-centered. It is based on what you do and what you can earn. You're not even sure that there is something after this life or that there is a God beyond this life, but if there is, you know that you've got to be good enough in order to be able to get into that place that is a better place and to be able to be given access by the God that may be there. On this side, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God says, in fact, there is a place after this life. It's either heaven or hell. Heaven is the place where those who put their faith in Jesus go and spend all of eternity. Hell is the place where people go who reject what Jesus has done. They refuse to receive what he has done for them. And they are separated from God forever to pay the penalty of their own sins. And these two wisdoms are diametrically reposed against each, one, uh, each other, are diametrically in contradiction to one another in many different areas, but none more so than in the area of what happens after this life. And if there is something beyond this life, how you get into that better place... And how you'll be given entrance by God and on what basis you'll be given entrance by God. And so these two, these two wisdoms are, are diametrically opposed to each other in this area and they contradict one another. And one is humanistic, and the other is theistic. One is about what you have to do. The other about is about what someone has done for you. One is about yourself and your person. The other is about a relationship with the person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Having explained some of that to you and how these two different worldviews these two different ways of Interpreting life and looking at life and understanding life how they contrast in this area especially about how you get into the afterlife and how you gain acceptance with God I Want you to think with me a little further about this and I'm gonna be honest with you. I believe in the wisdom of God And I'm going to argue from that point of view, but I think as we go through this, you're going to be able to see the wisdom of God is greater than the wisdom of this world. And we'll do that through five little phrases that we'll stop and we'll consider over these next few minutes. The first phrase is this, the wisdom of the cross or the wisdom of God erases sin forever. Now, think about this for a moment in the wisdom of the world, this humanistic perspective on life. This is the way you look at life from man's point of view. It's about what you have to do and what you have to earn. If there is a life beyond this life and there is a God to whom you have to answer, you've got to be good enough to be able to get into heaven. As a matter of fact, when I talk to people about this matter, they often think of it like the scales of justice like you see here in the graphic. They think of it like the scales of justice. And on one side of the scales are the bad things that they do, the failures of their lives, the errors of their lives, the things they shouldn't have said that they did say or the things that they should have said that they didn't say the places that they've been where they shouldn't have been, the things that they did to someone that they shouldn't have done, and so forth. The bad things are placed on one side. And in the wisdom of the world, it says, in essence, here's what you've got to do. You've got to work hard enough and long enough to be able to tip the scales in your favor. You've got to do enough good to outwork your bad that you have done. And hopefully, what will happen after this life, if there is an afterlife, that God will see it and God will give you entrance into this better place on the basis of what you have earned and again I say I understand that's the way we're taught from the very early days of our lives that there is nothing free you, if you're gonna have something you have to work for it, and you have to earn it but I want you to think for a moment about the wisdom of, of the world and what it cannot do it can never take away what's on the other side of this scale in other words it is always in your rearview mirror It is always in the back of your mind. It is always something that you have to think about. It is always something that is like a cloud that hovers over you. Uh, Think of it this way. Most of life we spend looking through the windshield going forward. But we all know about that little rear view mirror. And when you look up and you look in that rear view mirror, what you see is... This trailer full of the evil things and the bad things and the failures of your life that are going right along with you. They're following along with you every place you go. And they're never taken away from you. They're always in that rearview mirror. They're always that cloud that is hovering over you. They are always ever present with you. Now, you might choose to not think about them, You may choose to drown them out, which is what a lot of people do, why they're alcoholics, why they're drug addicts, why they're involved in illicit sex and a lot of other things. Trying to drown out could be a workaholic. Trying to drown out a guilty conscience Because they know that they're never going to be able to tip the scales in their favor And those things that are on the other side of the scales are things They're not proud of They wish they hadn't done They wish they could have done something different They wish they could go back and relive their lives But the reality is in the wisdom of the world This worldview that is humanistic That is man-centered That is about what you do it's about earning a place in the afterlife with God. If there is a God, for the rest of your life, you're spending your whole life trying to do your works to tip the scale in your favor, but you will never be able to escape the past. The past will always be in your rear-view mirror. It will always be present with you. And even if you can turn your mind away from it for a while... In the back of your mind, it's always there. That's that's the wisdom of the world. That's this humanistic point of view. But think for a moment about the wisdom of God, the wisdom that's found in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in what we do, but in what God has done for us, what is theistic, what is Christocentric, what is received, not what is earned. Think about it for a moment. Do you realize that... In the wisdom of God, God says to us, I will take away your sins forever, and I will remove their penalty forever. We call that forgiveness. God forgives us, and God cleanses us, and God washes us of our sins, and he takes it all away. It's a little bit like hitting that reset button. We reset, he resets our lives for us, and he gives to us a brand new life. As a matter of fact, the Bible refers to this matter of forgiveness this way. He says our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. You know what that means? It means they never meet. It says that he buries our sins in the deepest sea. Now listen, and he never remembers them against us again. He says that he comes and he gives us a brand new life. Old things have passed away. They're no longer there. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. And God hits the reset button and God gives you a brand new life to live for him. As a matter of fact, Peter, one of the disciples, the apostles of Jesus Christ, put it this way himself that is jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins hear that died to sins might live for righteousness the wisdom of god that is theistic christocentric that is about what jesus has done for us it's about a gift that He wants to give us, and we all only have to be willing to receive that gift ourselves. That wisdom of God says, "Here's how I'll deal with your sins, your failures, your faults, the evil that you've thought, the evil that you've done, here's how I'll deal with it. I'll take it all away. I'll take it all away. Reason with me for a moment. Let's suppose for a moment that you're out and about in the community and You come across the path of somebody who has the coronavirus, somebody who has COVID-19, and they cough or they sneeze. They can't help it. They cough and they sneeze. And now these water droplets have fallen on that hard surface right there in front of you. And before you know it, you have reached out and you have touched those water droplets, those infected water droplets. And now what do you have? You have a hand that is like a Petri dish. You have a hand that is unclean. You have a hand that is dangerous, could even be deadly. Now, you can do one of three things with that hand. Are you reasoning? You can do one of three things with that hand. You can ignore it. You can pretend that it's not there. You can act as if it doesn't really matter. It's not even something you're going to think about anymore. You you can be miserable about it. You can try to drown out any thoughts of your hand being dirty, that you've come in contact with those droplets that were infected with that coronavirus, that COVID-19 virus. That's one of the things you can do. Another thing you can do is you can put it in your pocket and you can hide it. You know, a lot of people do that with their lives, the things that they've done wrong in their lives. They just try to hide them. They hope nobody will ever see them, that nobody will ever know that they're there. They try to keep them in the shadows so that nobody will ever see them. They put them, in essence, in their pocket, and they hide them away. But do you know what? In the back of your mind, you know your hand is dirty. And you know that your hand is dangerous. And you know your hand needs to be be dealt with, and yet you just keep it hidden. Or you can do a third thing. You can do what they're telling us to do. You can go to a sink somewhere. You can get some soap and water And for 20 or 30 seconds, you can wash your hands thoroughly and you can wash your hands free of that virus that has contaminated your hand, that has contaminated your hands. Now, let me ask you a question. Which of those three is the smartest thing to do? To ignore it? To try to hide the reality of it, even though you know in the back of your mind it's there? Or to go to the sink and to wash away? that which is contaminated? Obviously, the answer to that question is the right thing to do. The wise thing to do is to go and wash those hands. Wash away the virus that is on those hands. That's the wisest thing to do. And do you realize that's what the wisdom of God says he will do, what God will do for us? He doesn't put us over here in the wisdom of the world and in the wisdom of the world tell us what you're going to have to do is be good enough. You're going to have to earn uh, your way into my presence, earn your way into life after this life. If there is a life like that and there is a God that you're you're going to have to earn your entrance into that place. I can't do anything about your past. I can't do anything about the contamination of your life. I can't help you in that respect, but you've got to somehow tip that scale in your favor Or the wisdom of God that says, listen, the wisdom of God that's theocentric, that's theistic and Christocentric, the wisdom of God that comes and says, listen, it's in what Christ has done for you. And in what Christ has done for you, it's a gift that he wants to give you. And if you receive it, here's what I'll do for you. I'll wash away all of that corruption once and for all and forever, never to be remembered against you ever again. The contamination will be forgiven. We sing a song in the the church sometimes. It says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary's cross. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Here comes the sink. Listen. No other fount I know. Where we get washed, no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can take away our sins. Now, you can choose either one. You can choose the wisdom of the world. You can choose the wisdom of God. Uh, You can choose the wisdom that is humanistic or you can choose the wisdom that is theistic. You can choose the wisdom that says this is what you've got to do to tip the scales in your favor or you can choose the wisdom that says this is what's been done. You can choose the wisdom that can never remove your sins or you can choose the wisdom that takes your sins away and gives you a brand new life. Now, just reason with me for a few moments. What do you think is the best thing to do? There's a second phrase where I want to reason with you, and that is the wisdom of the cross not only only erases our sin forever, but the wisdom of the cross eliminates rigorous performance. Now, think with me again in this system, this worldview that is humanistic, the wisdom of the world. Uh, this worldview that says it's about what you have to do, it's about what you have to earn, that can never take away your sins, but hopefully you can tip the scale in your favors ultimately, do you know that locks you into a system that we'll just call a system of rigorous performance? For the rest of your life, you've got to be doing these good things. For the rest of your life, you've got to hope that you're doing the right good things. For the rest of your life, you will never really know whether or not you have done enough of those good things that are the right good things. And the reality is, until it comes time to die, and if there is something after this life, and there is a God, it's not until you die, whether you know or not, whether you have done enough, and you live your whole life without any sense of peace. You get locked into a system that's filled with rigorous performance. Think about it in these terms. You know, at the beginning of each new year, usually people make some New Year's resolutions. I know that in previous years I've done that on occasion. I'm sure some of you have done that on occasion. You've made some New Year's resolutions along the way. But do you know that New Year's resolutions that sound so good at the beginning of the year end up being some of the most difficult things to continue. As a matter of fact, uh, one study did uh, uh, some questions that were asked of people about their New Year's resolutions, and it says that people gave up their New New Year's resolutions with alarming ease. It said that more than half of those resolutions were abandoned within a month, while roughly 80% of respondents failed, it says, to keep their resolve for a year. In an article that was found in the St. Louis Dispatch, it said, resolutions are like rules. They're just made to be broken. Now, you know as well as I do, we make those resolutions at the beginning of the year, intending to do our very best. But somewhere along the way, usually for me, it's a couple of weeks in. But for some, it might be a couple of months. It might be several months in. And... They find out how difficult it is and how hard it is. In the wisdom of the world, this worldview that is humanistic, that is man-centered, this this worldview that says this is what you have to do. If you're going to earn your way, if there is an afterlife, you're going to earn your way into that that afterlife. If you're going to stand before God and be given entrance into that afterlife, you've got to earn it can't take away your sins. Your sins will follow you. They're in the rearview mirror for the rest of your life. You, you don't know exactly what good works to do, how long you have to do those good works, or if you've done enough of those good works until you die. And you're locked into this constant system of rigorous performance, and you wear out at some point, and you just give up. I, I would suggest that in the studies that tell us that there are more nuns, N-O-N-E-S, people that have no religious affiliation anymore. I would tell you that many of those people are people who are religious, but they know nothing about a relationship with Jesus Christ. In the back of their mind, they're living according to the wisdom of the world, a worldview that is man-centered, where they have to earn their way into that afterlife, that better afterlife. When they stand before God, it's something that they will have worked for because they tipped the scales in their favor. Yes, their sins are still in their rearview mirror, but they've done enough good to outwork their bad. And God's going to look and say, you know, I'm really proud of you. You did a good job. I'm going to give you entrance into that better place. Do you understand that a lot of people get religious because they're living according to the wisdom of the world. They're living according to a, to a worldview that is humanistic and is man-centered. That's all about what you have to do. And so they get started and they become regular. Maybe they get real religious with it and they go a lot through a lot of the ceremonies of it and a lot of the rituals of it, but somewhere along the way, it's just too hard. I can't keep it up. It's too constricting. It's too confining. And they give up in the process, just like people give up resolutions. But think with me for a moment about the wisdom of God, that which is theistic, which is Christocentric, which is about what someone has done for us, Jesus Christ and his death on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection from the grave. Think about it for a moment. It's about what he has done and not about what you have to do. It's about receiving a gift. It's not about earning a wage. Think about it for a moment. What it does is it removes that rigorous performance. It eliminates that rigorous performance. And it says that I can rest and I can be at peace because I know that it's not on the basis of what I have to do, but it's on the basis of what Jesus has already done for me that I'll have entrance into that place after this life that the wisdom of God calls heaven and that I don't have to fear being separated from God forever. I don't have to fear being separated from God forever. And may I just stop here for a moment and may I say to you that Even if the wisdom of the world were right, and I don't believe it is, but even if the wisdom of the world were right, this worldview of man was right, do you understand that the Bible says that you can never outwork your bad deeds? The longer you live, the more you're adding to the other side of the scale anyway. I mean, when we want to do good, evil is present with us, isn't it? We don't think the right things. We don't feel the right way. We don't treat people as we should treat them. We don't do the right things that we should be doing. There's always those things that are being added to the other scale. And the fact of the matter is, you can never be good enough to get into this life that you think you have to earn. Listen to what Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 says. Knowing that a man is not justified, that is, not made right, so that he can get into heaven Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Or or listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, hear this phrase, not of works lest anyone should boast. Think about that. Even if the system of the world, the world view, the wisdom of the world that's humanistic, that's man-centered, where you have to earn and you have to do and you have to be good, hopefully to tip the scales in your favor, even if you could do those things, which I don't think any of us could ever do. Even if you could do those things, God says, that's not good enough. We all come short of the glory of God and consequently all of us are sinners The reality is the only way into this afterlife to be in the presence of God in this place that he calls heaven that the wisdom of God talks about and references, where it's theistic and Christocentric, where it's about what Jesus has done for us, where it's a gift that we receive from him that takes away our sins forever. It's only in that worldview that we ever can have peace that we can ever have rest, that we can ever have joy. And why is that? Well, listen to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You hear that? In the wisdom of God that is theistic and Christocentric. It's about what you receive on the basis of what Jesus has done for you. It says that Jesus has paid the penalty of your sins forever. And if you come to Jesus and you receive his free gift of eternal life, there's peace. It eliminates this rigorous performance. Oh, I've got to do more. I've got to do a lot more. I've got to work harder. I've got to go more. I've got to to be better. You say, are you telling me that then... I can just live any way I want to live. No, that's not what I'm telling you. But I'm telling you that if you live by the wisdom of the world, that is humanistic, that is about what you can do and about what you can earn, that you have to live out the rest of your life... Hoping that you're doing the right things, not knowing if you've done enough of the right things, or even if you're doing the right things, and it's not until you die that you find out whether or not you get into the afterlife and whether God accepts you or not. Do you realize that's a life of misery? That's a life of pain, and that's a life like New Year's resolutions that a lot of people just abandon. But the wisdom of God... The wisdom of God that's theistic and Christocentric and it's about what Jesus has done for us and it's about receiving a gift, the gift of eternal life allows us to be forgiven of our sins and to be able to rest in peace knowing that we're right with God. So let me ask you again, which one do you think's the best way to go? I'm just reasoning with you. Which one do you think makes the most sense? In my thinking, the wisdom of God makes the most sense. But I want you to consider it with me around another thought. And that is that the wisdom of the cross encompasses every person. The wisdom of the cross encompasses every person. Now, think about the wisdom of the world. It's humanistic. It's man-centered. It's about what you have to do. It's about what you have to earn. If there is an afterlife and there is a God, you've got to be good enough to tip the scales in your favor. You you can never out... you've You've got to outwork your bad deeds... You've got to tip the scale in your favor so that you're doing more good than you are bad. And so you're locked into a rigorous performance for the rest of your life where there is no peace and there is no rest. But do you know what you've also done? You've eliminated a whole lot of people. You've eliminated a whole lot of people. What about the person who's done something that you could never really outwork? What about the person who's done something so despicable that if they spent the rest of their lives only doing good things, they could never outdo that which they've done, which is despicable. Or, or think about the person who's late in life, and they only have a short amount of time to, to, to live their lives, and now you've come to tell them, you know what? You've got to do good things. You've got to earn your way into this afterlife that God may uh, uh, allow, uh, accept You and allow you to come into heaven on the basis of what you have done. Can I just tell you something? There's a lot of people that don't have enough time left to do the works that would have to be done in order to tip the scale in their favor, even if it could happen. Think about that hillside called Golgotha where Jesus was crucified. We call it Calvary as well. Think about that hillside. On either side of Jesus were two thieves Both of those thieves that were hanging there with Jesus railed on Jesus for a period of time. But ultimately, one of those thieves had a change of heart and came to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. And that thief, whose hands and feet were pinned to that cross, turned to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Can I tell you that that man on that cross First of all, he couldn't do any good works. He was pinned to that cross. There was nothing good that he could have done that would have ever outworked the things that he had done as a thief. And besides that, he didn't have enough time left to be able to tip the scales in his favor. He would have been hopeless on that cross. And how many people are left out by the wisdom of the world? They've either done things that are so despicable that they could never outwork them if they had a lifetime to try to do so, or they only have a very short amount of time left, and they just don't have enough time to do enough good works to tip the scale in their favor. Oh, no, no, no. The wisdom of God, theistic, Christocentric, It's about what is done for you by the Lord Jesus Christ that you receive as a gift that takes away your sins, eliminates the rigorous performance, brings you to a place of peace and a place of rest. It doesn't leave anybody out. You could be standing next to the bedside of someone that's about to die. Maybe they only have a few minutes or a few hours to live and you can share with them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ And you can have the confidence that if that person responds, even in that bed of affliction, if that person responds and receives the gift that God is offering, that that person who doesn't have enough time, who doesn't have enough opportunity to do enough good to tip the scales in their favor, that that person can be forgiven. And that person can become a child of the living God. A number of years ago, I was privileged to be invited to a house where a family member was coming to visit. He was a little gentleman. He was a little over 90 years of age. The family had been witnessing to him. They had been telling him about Jesus and about the gospel and how it had changed their lives. And they were excited. They wanted him to have that same, that same experience with Jesus Christ. but. He had not yet received Christ. And so they said, Pastor, would you come over and would you spend a few minutes? He's coming to visit with us from out of town. Would you come sit down with him? And I was so happy to be able to do so. I love to talk to people that are nearly centenarians, people that have lived that long in life. They've seen so many things and experienced so many things. There's a boatload of wisdom that you can get from them as well as a whole lot of fun you can have with them. But at some point in our conversation, I turned to the gospel, and I began explaining to this man about what Jesus had done for him, the wisdom of God, this worldview that is theistic, Christocentric about what Jesus has done for us that you can receive as a gift that takes away your sins and gives you peace and rest and releases you from that system of rigorous performance. I began telling him that story about what Jesus had done for him. And at the end, I said, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? And I'll never forget that old gentleman said, yes. Yes. Now listen, he didn't have enough time left to be able to do any good works, enough good works that would have tipped the scales in his favor according to the wisdom of the world. All he had was a couple of more years of life. He didn't have enough time left, and he wouldn't have had enough opportunity to do enough good to tip the scales in his favor. But he was not left out by the wisdom of God. He was included, and he received Christ that day. Do you know how many people in their 90s received Christ as Savior? Well, I don't know the exact percentage, but I can tell you, you could put a point, and you can add a bunch of zeros before you ever get to the one. Because it's very, very rare. And yet this man on that day, something very, very rare, became a child of the living God. You know why? Because the wisdom of God, unlike the wisdom of the world, this worldview that is theistic and Christocentric as opposed to this worldview that is humanistic and man-centered, this wisdom of God leaves nobody out. No matter what you have done, you can be forgiven. No matter how late it is in your life, it's not too late until you breathe your last breath and you can become a child of the living God. There's two others that I want to give you and I want to give them to you quickly. I want to reason with you... Uh, around a a fourth statement and that is that the wisdom of God the wisdom of the cross empowers Christian living told you I wanted to talk about this a few moments ago it empowers Christian living the wisdom of the world here's what the wisdom of the world says it says this is your worldview your view that's humanistic that's man-centered it's about what you've got to do it's what you've got to earn you can never escape your sins they're always in your rearview mirror You're locked into a system of rigorous performance. You never know if if you're doing the right things, if you've done enough of the right things, until you die, and then it's too late. So you never live with any peace, and you never live with any rest. And here's the bad news. You're on your own. Nobody can help you. Nobody can do anything for you. Nobody can come do it on your behalf. You, you have to do this yourself. you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You've you got to get busy. You better go to work. Listen, if this is what you believe, you better go to work right now. You better not waste not a single moment of the rest of your life hoping, hoping that maybe you can do enough to tip the scales in your favor and earn your, your way into this afterlife if there is one and there is a God. You better get busy. You better get busy right now. Don't, don't even wait. When this message ends, you better get busy right now. And it leaves you to yourself. You got to do it on your own, and nobody can help you. It's a little bit like my computer. I have a desktop computer. And if I unplug that computer, I can turn on the monitor, I can type on the keys, I can move the mouse. But do you know what that com- computer can do when it's unplugged? <laughs> Other than a paperweight, it can't do anything. There is no power. It's not able to do anything that usually a computer would be able to do because it's not powered up. But do you know over here in the wisdom of God, do you realize over here in this worldview that is theistic and Christocentric, That's about what Jesus has done for you that you receive as a gift that takes your sins away forever, that gives you rest and gives you peace and brings to you joy that leaves nobody out, that leaves nobody out. Do you know what it does? when you receive Christ as your Savior, when you receive that gift of eternal life, it's like God plugs the computer in and suddenly all of your life comes alive. And God enables you to do things that you know you ought to do but you could never do on your own. And you're not doing them because you're hoping that you can do enough of them in order to earn the favor of God. You're doing them out of love in your heart. Because Jesus has made you alive. He's brought the power source to your life. I read an article in the Associated Press. I, I don't know if it's true. I assume it's true. It came from the Associated Press. It took place in Glasgow, Kentucky. The lady's name who was involved was Leslie Puckett. She went out to her car, and she started turning the switch, trying to get the car to turn on. Maybe she was pushing the button, trying to get the car to turn on, and nothing was ha- would happen. Finally, frustrated, she gets out of the car. She goes around. She opens the hood of her car, and somebody had stolen the engine. Can I tell you that the wisdom of this world, this humanistic uh, approach to life that is man-centered... It's about what you have to earn and about what you have to do. Can I tell you something? It's not a matter of lacking fuel. It's a matter that the wisdom of the world has no engine at all to help you. But in the wisdom of God... He plugs you into the power source and he enables you to do what you could never have done on your own and you do it not because you want to earn the favor of God but because you love him for what he's done for you and you're resting and enjoying the relationship that you have with him. And there's one last point and I'll finish. We want to reason around this last point. The wisdom of God, the wisdom of the cross encourages heavenward praise. Just think about this for a moment. The wisdom of the world. I'm not going to make a long list of all the things that go under the wisdom of the world. This worldview that looks at the world from man's point of view, a humanistic point of view. I want you to think about this for a moment. Can you imagine if there is an afterlife in this perspective? And you can earn your way into heaven. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in that afterlife? Can you imagine people walking around heaven? What, what, what did you do? How much did you do? Oh, that's nothing. You should have heard what I did. Let me tell you how, how great I was. Let me tell you how, how good I have had to be. Let me tell you what I had to outwork. And there'd be this competitive spirit of people talking about themselves. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at what I've done. If that doesn't sound like hell to you... <laughs> You might want to stop and rethink it. The wisdom of the world, if we could get there on the basis of what we do, would be a place where people would be bragging about themselves. But in the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God that is the worldview where we see life from a theistic point of view, from God's point of view, where it's about what Jesus has done for you that removes your sins forever, that makes you a brand new creature in Christ Jesus, Jesus, that takes away the rigorous performance that leaves nobody out. Can I tell you, when you get to heaven, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be walking around heaven. And you're not going to be saying, look at me. You're going to be saying, look at him. He is the one who made it possible. So let me finish here. And let me ask you a question. Which do you think makes the best sense? The wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God? The worldview that is humanistic, man-centered, or the worldview that is theistic and Christocentric? The worldview that says this is what you've got to do, Or the worldview that says, this is what was done for you. The worldview that says you've got to earn and you've got to work and you've got to be good enough. Or the worldview that says you can receive a gift. The gift of forgiveness and eternal life. A worldview where you constantly are looking in the mirror and you're seeing the sins of your past. Or a worldview that says, let me hit the reset button and give you a brand new life to live for me. A worldview that leaves nobody out. Or a world view that leaves a lot of people out. A world view that if there is an afterlife, which I believe there is. If there's an afterlife and there's a God and I believe there is. That we walk around heaven talking about ourselves. Or we talk about the one who made it all possible. I I don't know. But when somebody presented that to me. When I was a 16 year old teenager. I determined that the wisdom of God made a whole lot more sense than the wisdom of the world. And I hope it does for you as well. I hope it makes a whole lot more sense. You say, I want to understand you, Pastor. Why is this so important? Why do you preach this message two or three times, uh, uh, you know, two or three times, or excuse me, six or seven times over the course of nearly 20 years, every two or three years? Well, Why do you preach this message? Because when I reason with people, most of the people I know come to a place and they say you know what that makes a whole lot more sense the wisdom of God than the wisdom of the world and that's what Paul was saying that's what Paul was saying as a matter of fact in verse 18 listen to it again for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing now listen but to us who were being saved it is the power of God I've got good news for you today I came to deliver this message, though I've delivered it a number of times before. I came to deliver this message to give you good news. The wisdom of God says you can be forgiven. You can become a child of God. You can have a home with God in heaven. He'll take away your sins. He'll leave nobody out. I know some of you think you've done things that God could never forgive. Wrong. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. God can forgive you. And God can give you a brand new life and God can promise you eternal life, give you eternal life and promise you a home with him in heaven, not on the basis of what you have to do, but on the basis of what Jesus has already done for you. And I'll never forget that Wednesday night. As a 16-year-old teenage boy, when I came to understand that, I said, Jesus, save me. It wasn't about religious deeds. It wasn't about rigorous performance. It wasn't about what I could do or what I couldn't do. It wasn't about tipping the scales in my favor. It was about what Jesus has done. And I came and I said, Jesus, you are my only hope. Jesus, save me.